You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another edition of the Family Feud Podcast. I'm your host, Shotgun Spratling. Wait, 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 wait a second. Joined by Keely Yor. That seems like a little bit of a role reversal here. Uh, we're we're going to be changing things up a little bit this week because I'm on the road. Uh, so Keeley is going to be our analyst. I'll be hosting the show. So it's going to be the best show ever. Isn't that right, Keeley? I would just like to say for the record that I hate this already. But sure, yeah, greatest show ever. <laughs> greatest show ever because I'm hosting. Uh, as, of co- as a reminder, of course, you guys can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Audio Boom. You can also email us questions or submissions to our podcast at familyfeudpod at gmail.com. Keely, we got football again. I mean, it was a, a strange offseason. So much stuff going on, as always happens at USC. But finally back on the field, USC started out spring camp yesterday. It's true. I'm sorry. I'm still getting used to this, like, host shotgun. You're very, like, peppy. <laughs> There's a lot of energy. I'm, I'm just not used to this. I'm, I'm a little thrown off. But s- football <laughs> is back. You're, of course, a slacker and missing football this week. Um, wow. But this this is a little, we have to preface, this is a little appetizer. This is an appetizer of, of spring camp because uh, this is based off of one practice. We're not going to, I'm not going to be there on Saturday because of you, Shotgun. So this is just a first impressions type of pod, correct? Yeah, just a first impressions. You know, the fact that there's a lot of new faces, also a lot of, you know, faces kind of missing. There were several players that chose to leave the program, many entering the transfer portal before spring camp began. You know, Valus Jones Jr. is kind of a guy that's up in the air a little bit. I saw that Michael Pittman was kind of like he's not completely gone yet. You've got Greg Johnson at the cornerback spot is in the transfer portal. Pi Young was listed among the, the squadmen lost on USC's per- perspectives. And then that, those guys just this last week, those those have kind of come out. Those names have come out. Before that, you had Josh Morabebe, Trayvon Sidney, Randall Grimes from the receiver spot. From the linebacker positions outside, you had Oluwale Batiku Jr., uh, in the inside, you had Levi Jones at the end of last season. So some faces, you know, that we expected to be contributing this year are gone. Uh, so Keely, you know, how different was it just kind of getting out there and, and seeing new faces and some faces you expected to see out there kind of not there anymore? It was interesting. Um, I talked to Michael Pittman about both Valus Jones Jr. and uh, T. Martin, two faces that are gone uh, for the spring. Now, T. Martin, of course, is gone permanently, but it, it, the way that Michael Pittman talked about it, it sounded like Valus Jones, in Michael Pittman's words, is not out the door yet. Uh, he said that Valus is still trying to decide what to do. Uh, Michael Pittman wouldn't speak on what specifically the issue was. I personally heard from a source that it's a family issue that Valus is dealing with back at home. Um, so it's not necessarily like a I hate the team, I hate Helton, and thus I'm putting my name in the transfer portal. It seems like there's something, it's a more complicated issue, and thus Valus is trying to work through that. Um, and the way that Clay Helton talked about it in his, his post-practice presser was that uh, it's not, he didn't make it sound like if you enter the portal, the door is closed. He said, with Greg Johnson and Valus Jones, I'll keep you updated as that situation evolves, because they are in the portal, uh, but it sounded like, there is a chance for them to come out of the portal if you're kind of looking into his words a little bit. So Valus doesn't seem like he's gone just yet. No real word on Greg Johnson. Um, so that was an interesting development there. Also talked to Michael Pittman about T. Martin not being there. He said it was a little weird. Um, he said that 
when he's doing routes, when he's doing certain things, he hears T. Martin's voice in his head telling him what to do or getting mad at him for not catching something as well as he could have. So it's interesting. Two of the the mainstays in the the wide receiver grouping were not there uh, on Tuesday. Yeah, those two are gone. But you also had Josh Morabebe, Trayvon Sidney, Randall Grimes. That position took a big hit. And especially if you're going to the spread offense where you want to have five wide receivers on the field at some times. Uh, I'm sure it looked a little bit different yesterday practicing. Speaking of the spread offense, new offensive coordinator Graham Harrell got his first on-field action in front of the public, in front of the media. What was kind of the most notable difference with the offensive action? And what did you kind of think of that wide receiver group with the fact that there's not a ton of bodies there? Well, the media on Tuesday was a little odd. They keep changing it every year and involving how we get to interact on the first type of first type of practice and first week. So we only got to talk to a select players and Clay Helton, no assistant coaches. Uh, we got to pl- talk to players both on offense and defense, but we didn't get to talk to Graham Harrell. Um, so the interesting thing about Graham Harrell, the first thing that I thought really stu- stood out to me was uh, he, for half of practice, he was up on the baseball building with a headset on relaying plays uh, to a coach down there. So he was already in the booth type of situation. Um, and we got to talk to Clay Heldon about it. And he said that essentially Graham Harrell was calling plays and getting practice of calling plays already day one of spring. He said half of practice was unscripted. and It was just Graham Harrell up there calling what he sees. Um, so that was pretty interesting. Uh, it was it was interesting. One of the first plays we saw four wide, Tyler Vaughn's, Michael Pittman, uh, Devin Williams, and Amon Ross St. Brown. So you got to see all the four guys there uh, really getting a taste of, of the air raid. But the, another thing you saw was a lot of walk-ons. It's a, it's a lot of rotation. It's a lot of guys getting a lot of passes thrown to them. So, of course, you're going to get uh, a lot of new names to try and fill that depth. Uh, again, talking to Michael Pittman, he said it wasn't too bad on Tuesday, uh, but he, he thought that going more into the spring that he's going to get a little uh, tired of being one of the the five or four scholarship guys out there. Uh, So it's interesting seeing the air raid. It's definitely faster, but of course it's day one. They're not in pads. We didn't see too much, uh, nothing too much to glean from at this point, Uh, but you did see a a faster pace out there. Yeah. And I I definitely think, you know, looking at your guys' tweets, your notes and stuff, looking at it and seeing that he's up in the, you know, basically doing the booth thing, you know, we didn't see that until basically their, you know, maybe first or second. Sometimes it was the second scrimmage when we would see that the first time. You know, they'd put the headsets on so they could work on the communication and stuff with the coaches and, you know, signaling in the plays. I know I, I saw Ryan said that there weren't the big play cards anymore. And one of the things, you know, I, I complained about it several times and said that I thought that, you know, one of the biggest things with this new offense is making adjustments in game. And, you know, if you, if you take Clay Helton at his word, you know, that th- he was up there and basically calling plays based off what he saw from up there, that is definitely an in-ju- in-game adjustment type of thing. So that's something really exciting to me. That was one of the things, you know, that, that I saw, you know, from your guys' r- reports and stuff that I was like, wow, that's something new. That's something different. That's a positive sign for this offense. Um, w- when you look at some of the other offensive positions, do you notice any real differences in drills or anything else? Uh, we're going to talk about some of the other coaches in a little bit, but just you know the fact that this is the air raid offense. Did you notice any much different uh, with the offensive action uh, in practice yesterday? Well, first off, you mentioned how they would usually put a headset on a couple practices in. That was kind of the theme overall. I felt like they were a couple practices ahead uh, for it being day one. It seemed like they were already had a chemistry together. They already knew what they were doing. Dan and I commented on in- incident analysis. It almost felt like 
the first day was better than any of last spring's practices as a whole. Uh, they just seemed more together. They seemed like they know they knew what they were doing. And I hate to say the company line, but there did seem to be a sense of urgency throughout practice at different drills. Um, so that to me was impressive that it didn't feel like a sluggish day one start where some people are still trying to get with the program. It seemed like coaching wise and player wise, for the most part, they seemed ahead of the game. Wow. That, and that's really saying something, saying that it's better than all the practices last spring. Uh, it, but it, it definitely seemed like now I didn't watch your guys' analysis on purpose so that, you know, I could get fresh takes from you and I wouldn't be kind of guided into answering things. But so, you know, I, I think it's really interesting that you can discern a difference, though, already. Now, a lot of times you're away from football. We, we go to these camps. And the first practice is like, okay, we, you know, it, it takes a little bit of time just to remember the guys and the speed that they play with and different things. But it sounds like there was, you know, just that the, this practice stood out from what we've seen kind of in the past that there was that difference, you know, that 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 sense of urgency like you talk about. So I'm kind of curious with Clay Helton and the fact that his role was so is supposed to be different this spring, this fall. He's not going to be the offense coordinator. How different did you kind of see his role? You know, what was what was his practice like? He did his normal Clay Helton thing where he kind of roams around to different positions. I think he was able to roam around more so because he didn't have to have his hand in the offense for the whole practice. I thought it was interesting in his post-practice presser, he had more of an authoritative uh, vibe to what he was saying. He had a, almost like a five-minute little speech that he wanted to get out. And he made it clear that they looked at this offseason and were admitting their mistakes, which I feel like we had complained in fall that they were very reluctant to admit their mistakes and be realistic and part of admitting those mistakes were uh the details and the fundamentals and you saw clay helton uh correcting some guys there were refs at practice and i think that really helped with clay helton's whole point about uh the fundamentals and doing things well if there were, if there was a penalty clay helton was quick to make someone do up downs the last play of practice was michael Pittman uh getting a touchdown in the corner of the end zone and he was very excited about it so excited that he spiked the football pretty high and of course the yellow flags flew for that so the whole team did up downs about that i talked to michael Pittman about it and he said you know the rest are good but not when they're gonna flag me on that because they should let me have that type of stuff celebration in practice during one of the times between drills where the team needs to jog over from one field to the next some guys were kind of slow and a little sluggish and clay stopped everyone and said if you don't have a sense of urgency we're going to do it again until you do um so he made everyone go back to the other field and then everyone jogged back over back back over with more gusto you know something that was interesting just from an audible sense there was a lot of communication between players and players players and coaches the type of communication that you expect in maybe the latter half of spring or in fall camp once everyone gets their chemistry and groove together but there's just a lot of chatter a lot of guys talking and I know I'm not answering your specific question but those were the little things that stood out to me um, especially the refs the refs made a difference in the one-on-one -on -one portion uh, wide receivers versus DB seven-on-seven -seven portion because because I know I've told you this before, Shotgun, standing on the sideline. Some guys would get away with holding pretty pretty badly during those <laughs> times. And, and I asked you, like, what's the point of having this practice and practicing those techniques if that's going to be called a hold in a real game? And we saw the difference with refs there is that uh, Britton Allen, the new early enrollee from IMG Academy in Florida, uh, he, had a, he had a good move defending, but the ref called it a hold and he was kind of confused greg burns came over 
pulled pulled uh, Britton Allen aside, pulled uh, the ref aside, and said, "Okay, why is this holding? What what was that about?" And then the ref was like, "It was a good move, but you just can't tug on that jersey too much." And, and Greg Burns thanked the ref and then coached up Britton Allen a little bit. Uh, but I thought that was really interesting, where DBs and wide receivers can get real time feedback on their their techniques and their moves and what will fly in the game and what what won't. And considering how how much USC was penalized in 2018 and how sometimes people thought they weren't penalized correctly, uh, it's a, I think it's good to get practice and, and knowledge of what the rest will and won't call um, in practice so that you know going into games. Yeah, I think that's a great point because you see so often the players – you know, just disbelief on their face when they get called for a penalty, especially the DBs. And, you know, they try to talk with the refs during the game, but I think it's not the best time to talk to them. If you can have them in practice and you can talk to them then and, you know, you kind of pick their brain, plus you kind of build those relationships. Some of those refs are the same refs you'll see in games. So then you can, have, you know, have that conversation. Hey, this is the same thing you were calling on me during spring camp. And, you know, I, I'm not doing the same things I was doing then or whatever it may be. So, I think there's a, there's a lot of steps that you guys have mentioned from this first practice that seem to be going in the right direction. A lot of things that we've complained about, it seemed like they're going at least trying to make some changes there to to make some difference. You know, we, me and you have talked about it ad nauseum. It's like sometimes you just got to change some things up, and it sounds like that that they're actually doing that this year. You know, just overall, did it feel like a different practice? It felt like. USC practice 2.0, if that makes sense. Like the the foundation was there of what they normally do, but things were tweaked. I felt like they spent more times, uh, more time on individual drills uh, than I was used to. And I was also I talked to Alicia Day Ortola about this because I didn't want to do that first day of camp thing where you're like, wow, this is different. And then in reality, it's not really. You're just kind of like fresh to camp again. But it felt like they were doing individual drills a little bit longer than they normally do. And as far as off the offense goes. Minor tweaks, but they make a difference when you've seen the same practice for the last couple of years. They had throwing lines, kind of a throwing circle where you had three quarterbacks on one side, two quarterbacks on the other, and they would throw to receivers and the receiver would catch the ball and then get in the other line, catch from a different side of the quarterbacks and then kind of go in a circle continuously. I don't know if that makes sense. You weren't there, Shotgun. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, that makes sense that you actually have the, the receivers rotating which lines they're in yeah. rather than sticking with the same line. And I think that might be a little bit of a difference in this spread offense, this air raid offense they're running, is that you know usually certain wide receivers are on one side of the field or, or different in, in the offenses USC had previously. Now, you're going to move a guy like Robert Woods, you're going to move a guy like Juju or uh, you know some of those guys, but primarily they would be on one side of the field at all times. So that's probably why you didn't see as much rotation of sides uh, in those type of drills. So this tells me that they may move guys around a little bit more and you may have some more uh, variety with some of those routes and stuff that they try to run uh, in, in that regard. Yeah, and, and it also, know, sorry, it also helped with the depth. You know, you it was tight ends, it was running backs, it was uh, wide receivers all together in that like pass catching circle. Um, so it, it was able to help with that depth issue. But we also saw uh, at one point all five quarterbacks throwing at the same time all had a, a designated route. Um, so it was pretty crazy to see all five 
quarterbacks lined up and dropping back together. And if you're if you're a receiver trying to catch the ball, you better make sure you're running your route correctly, or else you're gonna there's gonna be a collision out on the field. Uh, but I thought that was pretty interesting. But at the same time, we also saw the normal thing that we've seen with USC, where they line up on one side of the field, everyone gets their route run, and then everyone runs to the other side and then runs back. You know, so it, that's why I say it's USC 2.0 because you did see some of the normal things that were USC doing, but then we did see some some new uh, wrinkles in practice. And you know, I, I think Michael Pittman probably got really excited about that touchdown because it seemed like it's been so long since USC was scoring any points uh, at the end of the season when they were struggling offensively. So maybe that's why he got that penalty. Maybe. Uh, what, what what did you see from the other new coaches? You talked a little bit about Greg Burns working with the DBs. You got Mike Jinks, Chad Kay with the defensive lineman, Joe DeForest now with the outside linebackers, Tim Drevno full time with the offensive line, Kerry Colbert with the wide receivers. So some some new roles with a couple of those guys at the end, but some new faces as well. What what did you kind of see from those new guys? What did you kind of take away from their first day? You know, it's hard to see because, as you know, Shotgun, everyone's kind of in their own little corners. The closest I got was, especially to Greg Burns, we could hear his yelling from uh, our side of the field. Uh, I was really impressed. He had zero patience for mental errors from the DBs, yelling at players at at one point, which I I thought was pretty interesting. You're like, day one out of the gates, you're yelling at your players and you're getting them in line quickly. Uh, Kerry Colbert looked pretty in place as a wide receivers coach. Tim Drevnow looked more of the same of what we saw in those last four weeks of, of the 2018 season. Um, Graham Harrell, freshly shaven, so a lot of people couldn't really uh, see who he was in the sea of, of <laughs> guys with hats and whatnot. Um, interesting note, I turned to Alicia in practice and I said, who's that Who's that analyst and with the DBs? That guy like is pretty coaching pretty well like who is he and and we were like I don't know we were kind of looking at our our list of coaches and we go oh it's Chris Hawkins so Chris Hawkins and his coaching persona had a little bit of of a professionalness that we weren't used to uh but that was pretty interesting he was pretty vocal um and he needs to be just because those guys are so young that you almost have uh like a coach 1a and a coach 1b with Chris Hawkins and Greg Burns they have a good duo so far Uh, Chad K I didn't see a lot of him just because he's on that far side of the field uh but I did see him during um the 11 on 11 portion he seems to have a good chemistry with the the defensive line guys already uh but not too much that I could really glean from and uh Joda Forrest uh, working with the, the outside linebackers, but I, I couldn't really see much of him either. So that's kind of TBD. It's only day one, so I couldn't really get a good sense of everyone, but that's something that I'm going to continue to watch for in spring. Yeah, and looking at Mike Jinks, the running backs coach, you know, I, I actually transcribed one of the Stephen Carr interviews. He, you know, he was kind of asked how he's different. He was like, well, running back coaches are running back coaches. And he's kind of like, you know, saying that they're all the same. But then he's like, he's on us. You know, he's on us. He doesn't give us any room to breathe. And that's something that we need. So that was interesting to see from from Stephen Carr talking about Mike Jinks. Um, I don't know how much you saw of that group, but you know they they've only got a couple of bodies. Same thing with Greg Burns. How, how was it working with him, with him? You know, with the limited bodies, and that's something we talked about in our preview: is how many bodies that defensive backfield even going to have? How was it kind of going? You know, with when those DBs started going against the receivers, was there was there enough bodies on either side really there? You know, even when they just did. Uh, individual drills as a DB core you know you just mentioned it we talked about it we previewed it but it's one thing when you see it on the field essentially their first team was their team Um, the only guy that was kind of rotating in was Raymond Scott which is also an interesting wrinkle that he's working out there but 
It was basically Chase Williams, Isaac Taylor Stewart, Talano Hufunga, and Britton Allen, and they they got the most work. Elijah uh, Elijah Griffin will not be uh, participating in the spring. Helton said he's still recovering from his shoulder surgery in the off season, so it's it's a very thin group, and then a lot of walk ons. And like I said, with the wide receivers, uh, that's a thinner group as well. But you really notice it with the DBs. And Helton said that's something that they're going to have to really adjust for and and plan for going forward when you put the pads on and then when they go full pads because he said specifically Talanohu Funga and Isaiah Polamau who I'm not sure if I mentioned earlier uh, those two are not actually fully cleared to be contact uh, go full contact so uh, Helton said that they can use those two guys more so in the non-contact practices where they can run around and kind of make half tackles but not actually get in that full contact situation Uh, but Helton said they're going to have to take breaks maybe take some pauses during the 11 on 11 so that those guys can take their breath uh, they even did that in the first practice too just giving those guys a little bit of a rest and that's something that you know is going to be interesting how that that goes going forward and how much if that delays any growth that that position group could have if they had more bodies on on that team so i'm just Really curious what that means. We didn't get to ask Helton a whole lot of questions yesterday just because, you know, the first day, a lot of media, a lot of big camera crews who ask questions that we don't really want to know the answer to. You know, we <laughs> we, we as beat reporters want to know the nitty gritty, but we couldn't ask as many questions as we wanted to. But uh, I'm just curious as far as full contact, how much does that mean for the DBs, wide receivers and team as a whole? If they're going to go for let's be safe and healthy in spring versus let's uh, have some contact and some hard hitting to, to learn how to tackle better. So I'm curious what, what that's going to look like going forward. Now the group was missing a couple guys, right? CJ Pollard and Dominic Davis were the, those guys were both missing from yesterday's practice. Dominic Davis was there. Um, he didn't warm up with the team during warmups, but he was doing uh, like shadow wide receiver routes during DB drills. But he didn't do anything full full go. Uh, but CJ Pollard was not there. Uh, Chris Trevino put on our board. Apparently, CJ Pollard has some foot issues, so that seems like it's an injury type of deal. But we didn't, like I said, we didn't get to ask Kelton really about the nitty gritty uh, type of things uh also notable if we're going to talk to talk about injuries Caleb Tremblay did not practice uh Bernard Shermer had a knee brace on also did not practice and then Chase McGrath did not uh he was walking around but did not practice and he doesn't look like he's fully healthy yet so those are some guys uh to watch out for as well and and any other kind of surprises I know one of the surprises last week was when we saw that the offensive lineman went for a meal or whatever it was, Tim Drevno posted, and you saw Liam Jim is there, and I said, Wait, is, is he now on the offense line? He actually did make that switch over. Any other kind of surprises with guys moving positions or you know, just being, you know, maybe even looking different? What, what kind of stood out to you or maybe surprised you from, from the players just you know, looking at the guys working out, uh, not necessarily their play, but ju- just who, who kind of you know, seeing them in, in different positions or, or different numbers? What kind of what was different for you? The weird thing that stood out to me is Tyler Vaughn's looks pretty skinny. He looks pretty thin right now. I wasn't able to jump in hi- into his scrum, so I don't know what the full breakdown is of his weight and what he did this offseason, but he just looks uh, paper thin. So I'm curious what the, the motivation was behind that and how that affects his play. And then Solomon Tuliala-Pupu, he was just a beast out there. He was the type of guy, you know, when Palier Nayoteote had his first uh, practice and he wasn't really used to how USC kind of does thud. It was kind of the same thing with Solo. Like it was a non-contact practice, but Solo was hitting wide receivers where you could tell they were bracing a little bit. Um, and pretty much every guy that was his responsibility to wrap up, they lost the control of the ball a little bit or he batted down balls that came near him. So 
he was impressive. You heard the defense yelling solo a lot just because he was all over the place. So he had the same impression to me that, that EA had where he just looked like a fierce linebacker that was ready to hit. Um, and, and talking to um, Jordan Iasefa after practice, Solo wasn't actually even supposed to practice on Tuesday, but he was fighting so hard to come back that he wanted to go on the first day and not be delayed anymore. And Jordan was just really impressed with how Solo is conducting himself off the field. You know, he's really intense in workouts, in the playbook a lot. So he has high praise from some, some more veteran guys out there. The other thing that was interesting to me is just Austin Jackson is kind of the one of the veteran guys on the offensive line. And he said that's kind of changing his mindset going forward. He has to be more of a vocal leader on the line. So just those are the, off the top of my head, those are the things that really stood out to me. And also just Graham Harrell making his first impression and and being up on the on the booth or up on the baseball field, I really liked that that was a first day type of move that he made. So those were the things that that, that stuck out to me. Oh, the other thing that stuck out to me was that the early enrollees, oh. <laughs> I know, the early enrollees were pretty much thrown into the fire. Like they they were not held back at all, which I thought was interesting. And part of that was just because of depth issues. But I felt like Dude Wolf was getting work in early. Britton Allen, of course, was Britton Allen looked like he was like a third year guy who had already had experience in the system and they were throwing him out there. But that's just, there's such a lack of depth that Britton Allen was just getting his number called a lot. Uh, Drake Jackson was getting work. Ben Griffiths, pretty the only punter out there. He can boom it. We previewed the boom. The boom is there. (laughs) There's boom. And Keaton Slovis got a lot of work. Uh, He got second team quarterback for a bit towards the end. Um, So a lot of early enrollees getting some work in a significant amount of reps considering it was their first real practice as Trojan. So those were the kind of the things that that stood out to me. That was, I was going to ask you about the early enrollees next, but since you already answered that, My bad. let's move over to Keaton Slovis uh, and, and talk about a little bit about the quarterbacks. Cause there is quote unquote, an open competition. <laughs> uh, any impressions from the quarterbacks the first day? I mean, it may have been hard to see them from where you're standing because you know how they try to move away. If there's a key position group that you want to, pay attention to usually they try to move that group away from the media pen very true and that was kind of the case i i there's so much to take in on the first day that you kind of get a little like squirrel it's you're all over the place um (laughs) so uh in my mind it didn't really appear like a true quarterback competition i felt like jt really got the majority of of first go reps uh dan said that jack sears and matt fink got the first uh 11 on 11 reps i didn't see that with i saw uh uh, JT first. So I'm not really sure there's conflicting reports on that, but it just felt like this was JT's offense in a way, even though there's a quote unquote, uh, competition there. So I'm not sure how that's going to play out. Clay Helton said that each Friday they're releasing a depth chart, uh, to know where everyone's. So everyone on the team knows where they stand. And I think the reason why they're doing it on Friday is so that once they go to Saturday scrimmages, uh, you know who the 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 two deep are, but I just think that's interesting that he's changing it that way. When Helton was asked when he wants to make a decision as far as the quarterback competition, he kind of gave a political answer and and touted his line about the depth chart changing every Friday. But he we didn't really really get a concrete answer when he's going to make that decision. So that's TBD for now. You know, I like the idea of releasing the depth chart every week. I think that gives you transparency. If you're a player, you don't feel like I've been practicing really well. I'm killing it. I'm going to be first. And then you get the one fall camp or one spring camp depth chart, or you get the one fall camp before, you know, going into game week. And you're like, wait, I thought, I thought I would have been dominating. Why, why am I all the way in third when I, I think this gives you an opportunity for a player to say, 
all right, they still got me third. And if you are third and you think you should be, you know, you've outplanned the other two guys in front of you, then maybe you go talk to the coach and say, hey, what am I not doing right right now? I think more transparency is always a good thing with, with a team rather than, you know, guys feeling like there's too much favoritism and, you know, I've been killing it, but suddenly I'm not here. I think this gives them a chance. Well, if I'm not here, let me go talk to the coaches to see what the hell is going on. Why am I not above these guys? And they'll probably say, hey, you're not doing this against the run or you're not doing this uh, in pass protection or whatever it may be. So I, I think it's a, a great thing for them to be doing. I just, I, I just always think transparency is always a better idea than trying to be secretive and then just popping things on the players, and, you know, get before game day or whatever it may be, or you know, trying to keep those secrets or trying not to let anybody know about your depth chart going into the first game. You know, who's going to start? Oh, the, the secrecy uh, to keep your opponent off off balance. I, I think it's good to have that transparency and let players know. I think it helps them, you know, focus on what they need to do and also, you know, give them an opportunity to know exactly where they stand. Yeah, I completely agree. The flip side to that, I saw a player's parent tweet uh, that if that's the case, uh, if, if a player's not getting enough reps, a fair amount of reps, is it fair enough to then put out a depth chart based on a limited amount of reps for certain players? I don't know. How do you feel about that? The thing is, in, in spring camp and in fall camp, the first three or four weeks, those are times where you're three deep at least are getting those opportunities. You're getting first team, second team, and third team. It's not till you get actual game preparation, that mock game week and going into, you know, preparation for a team that you see, hey, you go from three quarterbacks all getting first team, quote unquote, first team reps to and kind of rotate with each other to, all right, this is the guy that's going to be starting. So he needs to get more reps in there. And similar with other positions like that. So I, I think that at this time, and especially during spring camp, everyone's getting opportunities, especially with some of those position groups we talked about, you know, the DBs, the receivers, where there's so limited people that, you know, those guys are going to get so many reps this spring as much as they can handle, basically. So I think it's great to do it. I don't think that you you feel like, well, I'm not getting as many reps. Now, if you're a, a true freshman and there's a senior, you know, if it's Cam Smith versus Solomon Tulipupu last year, you know, if he would have been healthy, then yeah, or Raymond Scott or something like that. You can't be like, well, I should get the same amount of reps as the guy who's, you know, led the team in tackles the last three years type of thing. I, I, so I don't think there can be a big complaint in spring camp, and especially that, that early portion of fall camp. I think guys get enough opportunities to show the, showcase themselves rather than – but during, the, during season, that's a little bit different. But, you know, you're focusing on specific game plans, different things. But during the camps, I think, I think guys get enough opportunity. Um, so I'm, I'm flipping the tables. I'm, I'm taking back my host position for two seconds. <laughs> From your point of view, reading all the tweets and seeing uh, the first impressions of practice, what, what, was, what did you gain about practice? What were your first takes about it? You know, looking at not just our, you know, not just uscfootball.com, but looking at kind of everyone's tweets and listening to some of the interviews, you know, I came away with a positive outlook for this. You know, you go in him, as much stuff happened this offseason – with the transfers especially, that usually tells you, you know, if a lot of guys are leaving a program, you, you begin to worry more and more in the things we've heard. Uh, you know, you, you worry about the, the shape of the program, the direction of it. But, you know, I came away with a positive outlook on this practice at least. At least it's one practice. Granted, hey, take it with as much much as you can for one practice. Take it with a grain of salt. But I think it's a, you know, a lot of positive things, a lot of things that, you, that you know, we've complained about previously have been you know, at least tried to be addressed. And I think that's, that's something, you know, there were different things, 
the the you know having Graham Harrell up on the the baseball field and the fact that you know he's making some of those adjustments that could potentially be in-game adjustments. Greg Burns going after the defensive backs for mental errors and stuff. I think those are all positive things. Now we'll see how it's how the progression of the team and the players individually go through spring camp and you know into uh, summer and, and fall as well. But I think coming off one practice and the fact it's not pad practice or anything, but just taking it for what it is, I think you got to be you know you got to look at it and look. Okay, maybe this team is actually doing some some of the right things that we're expecting out of them. Yeah, I, I came away from it with a positive attitude as well. I thought it was pretty impressive because uh, I, I sometimes in fall camp, especially the the non padded practices or the first practice of spring or fall is kind of a throwaway. You know, guys are still trying to get their get their get the hang of things. They're not fully tackling, so they can't really do too much. But I thought that it felt like it, they were already ahead of schedule. And, and the interesting thing that I've been kind of mulling over is that maybe USC going five and seven was enough of a slap in the face where guys actually had to sit with that over a long off season, talking to a lot of the players. They said it felt like a long off season that they had to sit and, and, and have that taste in their mouth of a five and seven season. Whereas I feel like beforehand, you know, if you win a Pac-12 championship and go to the cotton bowl, guys didn't really feel like they had to change much. Coaches didn't really feel the the need or the, the fire to change things that, you know, probably should have been changed, but maybe overlooked. I feel like five and seven, there's no room for error. And I feel like that message was actually received over this off season. Now, granted, caveat, it's one practice. <laughs> you know, we thought mock game week looked great. And then the That's rest true. of the season did not. So, I, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic for Clay Helton and, and the changes that he says he's made and will make going forward. Uh, but so far it looked good. So I don't know, you, you know, you never know with this team and, and whatnot, what happens, but it's so far, so far, so good for USC. Yeah. And it was interesting to me that USC's putting out a, a series on YouTube or, you know, on their, their platforms called spring forward. And the first episode came out, I think today or yesterday, and it was a lot about how we're not happy with what happened. The players talked about, yeah, guys like Michael Pittman, and J, uh, JT Daniels, and Jack Sears, talking about, you know, we felt that five and seven, and it's been motivation for us in the offseason. And a lot of it was, you know, there's different things from, you know, season ticket holders talking about, you know, going through the pain of, of that season and stuff. So I think it's it, it has resonated with this group. Now, do they make enough adjustments to carry them through the season, that's that's a that's a question we can't answer yet. But like you said, I think I'm cautiously optimistic from this one single tiny practice. But I, I think that it is a positive positive going forward from what what you guys saw yesterday and from what I've read and, and uh, you know heard and re- seen reported. I, I think it's a positive so far. We'll see how it continues as we go through, you know, they'll have a week, they'll have this week, they'll have a week off, they'll come back and get into those scrimmages, and we'll see what actually happens in the scrimmages to, to give a much better idea. Yeah, can I be honest? I thought, I got 30 seconds into that that spring forward thing, and I just couldn't watch it. I thought it was a little cheesy. Like, at what point do you, like, acknowledge that the fan base is angry as as you know, an institution, you know? Yeah, it, 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 I thought it was very interesting that they actually went with that, because usually USC does not speak about their their deficiencies at all they usually is only the positive stuff you know if they lose a game you'll hit that'll be the last little tiny five seconds of the clip or anything and the trojans fall to notre dame or whatever it is but this was was very kind of heavy-handed with that stuff uh which which is probably where you got the cheesy part from but 
I just think it's a change of direction and the fact that they're you know attacking that and maybe that it has you know that has resonated with the players and coaches enough that that's the type of thing that they're going through uh, in that first thing that, that this has been a different offseason for them. We'll see you know as things progress, like I said, but but I think that you know so far so good. I think so too. Is there anything else you want to ask me? I'm like hosting you hosting myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think that's it. I think we covered, you know, the first impressions of spring camp with a lot of new faces and some faces that are missing. So I think we can wrap it up here, Keely, unless you have anything else you'd like to add from this, you know, this first practice that USC saw or the, you know, the off season coming into it. The one thing that we did see um, that I didn't mention was that switch that we we reported in the war room of EA moving to uh, Will and John Houston moving to Mike. That was that was the switch we actually did see. Uh, it looked a little odd, a little funky, but it didn't seem like they it hindered their play. Uh, so that's something to watch for. It seems like they're kind of moving uh, the outside linebackers. Like guys like Jordan Isefa back to inside linebacker. Uh, Jordan Isefa said that it doesn't matter. He played more inside linebacker. He played both in high school, so he's used to switching back and forth. So and he feels more comfortable and at home at inside linebacker. So it's interesting how they're kind of changing uh, what they want for outside linebacker. It seems like they want like more down linemen rather than guys that are are going to be Port Augustine predator types going for the quarterback. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. One thing that the, with the will and I mean with the uh, with the mic and the and the same and the will, excuse me, the mic and the will, those are kind of interchangeable positions. Cameron Smith talked about it previously. Uh, you know, uh, Michael Hutchings talked about it prior to that. That they're kind of interchangeable, not exactly, but a little bit. And I wonder if if maybe they want to to teach up Palier at both positions, so they're giving him a spring at one position, and maybe they switch him back later. That's something that kind of, a thought that kind of came to my mind, you know. But I, I think it's a little bit of the same thing. The, the change with Jordan Isefa is kind of is more prominent to me because you're moving him in back to the middle, where or to you know to the one of those two middle spots where there's already some depth there with John Houston, Palier, and with Solomon Tulipupu making a strong impression in his first opportunity. So you know, I, I wonder what they'll do because I think they really like Jordan Isefa and his versatility, and they you know. Clancy said last year he was going to be at one of the spots regardless of where it was when he kind of bounced around last year in fall camp when Cameron Smith was down for a little while. So I'm curious to see what they do with him and, and that, that he might tell us a little bit more what they think of some other guys where he ends up lining up because of how much confidence they have in him to be able to get the job done. Yeah, agreed. I'm curious how that all plays out because it seems because Clay Helton said that they're trying to simplify Clancy's defense even more to make players play faster. So I'm curious the evolution of that. Yeah, we'll see how it plays out. And, you know, we'll be back in the future with another Family Feud <laughs> podcast where we might switch it back up. It may Because be. this was the greatest hosting the show has seen. You know, this, so, this was the switch. I was EA going to Will, and you were John Houston going to, to Mike. It's just not right. I got to go back to Mike. <laughs> <laughs> you just want the mic. I'm about to drop the mic. This uh, uh, episode of the Family Feud <laughs> podcast is over. Yeah, I started dropping already. You saw the the the, uh, the splitting of the hairs there. Sure, yeah. Uh, the audio. Uh, yeah, so this podcast is over. The Family Feud Podcast brought to you by uscfootball.com. Again, a reminder, you guys subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Audio Boom, and email us your questions. Let us know what you think about fall camp, I mean, spring camp so far and what you're kind of curious about, seeing what progresses as well. Hit us up at thefamilyfeudpod at gmail.com. And since I'm hosting, you know, that's going to be it for us. And you're going to get a big peace because this was an awesome episode.
Peace. I did it too.